Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man means you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. And yes, thank you for being with us. You are on Our Common Ground, and I am Janice Graham, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Tonight, we will be visiting with the Black Women's Blueprint on the issue of the policing of girls. A jury acquitted two New York police officers of charges that they raped a drunken woman after helping her into her apartment while on patrol this past May. The woman had described snippets of harrowing night in which the officers called to help her because she was extremely intoxicated, instead abused her. They insisted no rape occurred, with one allowing only that he snuggled with her while she wore nothing but a bra. This verdict brings to an end a criminal case that drew outrage across the city of New York when the officers were indicted in 2009 and provides a measure of vindications for the two officers. Officers were convicted of three counts of official misconduct for entering the woman's apartment, but the jury found them not guilty of all charges, including burglary and falsifying business records. The police department of New York City, to their credit, said the officers were fired. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the sexual misconduct, abuse, and criminal sexual behavior of police in our cities as they come for come to help women. We're going to be looking at why it's important for you to know your rights, 
uh, what you should do if the police knocks on your door. And we're going to be talking about the Truth Commission on Criminal Justice Violence Against Women with Farah Thomas, who is our guest, and she is the founder of Black Women. She's a co-founder of Black Women's Blueprint, and I hope that you will stay with us. Well, I have some programming notes before we begin our program tonight. Uh, one of them is that tomorrow night on our regularly scheduled broadcast of Our Common Ground, Dr. Jared Ball will be joining us. He is an associate professor of communication studies at Morgan State University, where his research interests include the interaction between colonialism, mass media theory, and history, as well as the development of alternative underground journalism and cultural expression as mechanisms of social movements and political organizations. You may be familiar with Dr. Ball. If you're not in the Baltimore area, he is a columnist and produced a weekly column for the Black Agenda Report. He's a producer and host host of the legacy edition of We Ourselves, which airs Friday evenings, 10 a.m., Friday mornings, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. in Washington, D.C.'s WP. FW 89.3 FM Pacifica Radio. He is also the founder and producer of Free Mix Radio, and he is the editor and current peer reviewer for the academic journal dedicated to hip-hop, the global journal of hip-hop culture from words, beats, and life. And he will be with us tomorrow night right here at Our Common Ground as we speak truth to power and ourselves. And another special, next Monday, July 18th, Kimba Smith never used, sold, or handled drugs. She was sentenced to prison for 24 and a half years without possibility of parole at the age of 20 years and pregnant. She was issued a clemency by, executive clemency by President Bill Clinton as a result of the protest of an outraged and passionate activist community with the leadership of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, I am sure that you are familiar with the Kimba Smith story. She has now written her book, The Poster Child, The Kimba Smith Story. And Kimba and I have a long history. I was one of the leading activists on the issue of minimum uh, minimum mandatory sentencing and the issue of the Kimba Smith case. And we have a long history, and I will be pleased uh, to bring and present to you and engage with you uh, a discussion about not only her story, but her new book and her new life. And that is what is going to be happening at Our Common Ground. Um and we are pleased to have you with us here tonight. Mm-hmm. On the line I have with me the founder, the co-founder of Black Women's Blueprint. Black <laughs> Black Women's it's Blueprint. It's all right. It's all right. It's Sarah all right. Tannis, thank you so much for, um, believe it or not, I hit a wrong button on my computer and something Uh-oh. was coming up and, I, and it caught my attention. Thank you no so problem. very much for joining us 
tonight to talk about not only this. Uh, I, I know that the New York City police officers who mm-hmm. were acquitted of rape framed right. the issue of right. police sexual misconduct and abuse. Yes. But tell us uh, for a moment, mm-hmm. uh, before we start talking about the very issue um, mm-hmm. that's at the core of this, tell us about your organization and what you are doing with the Truth Commission on Criminal mm-hmm. Justice Violence mm-hmm. Against mm-hmm. Women. Well, first of all, Janice, thank you so much for having us on. Um, you know, it's not often that we get a chance to speak truth to power. And so, you know, it's it's wonderful to be able to come together with like-minded people like yourself and talk in this manner. Um, Black Women's Blueprint, we're a civil and human rights organization. We're located in New York. Um, we're an organization of both women and men. Our purpose is to take action to secure social, political, economic equality in American society. Um, we work together as a community to develop a culture where women of African descent become visible, become included in advocacy, where they become fully empowered, where gender, race, and, and other forms of disparities are erased, and where we can finally come together with our men to empower the entire community. Our thing is we can't leave anyone behind, just like our, our sister Harriet Tubman said, no, leave no brother or sister behind the enemy line when you're struggling for justice, racial justice or, or social justice. So that's what the wow, organization so, is about. that's so powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, our, our biggest biggest project is uh, our truth commissions. And it's, uh, uh, you know, the truth commissions, they focus on pursuing accountability for mass atrocity. Um, or human rights abuse, civil rights abuse. The good thing about truth commissions is that it allows for the affirmation of historical context for those abuses because a lot of times we talk about poverty, we talk about racism, we talk about, you know, um, violence, but we don't look at where that comes from. We don't look at our history. We don't connect enough for that to know where we're coming from so that we know where we're going and how we can work to craft strategies to stop these things happening in our community and to, to, to really form solidarity and be a strong and viable community. Our truth commissions are groups uh, uh, tasked with discovering and revealing patterns of wrongdoing, whether it's by government, whether it's, it's, it's by non-state actors, and even members of our same community. You know, we again, it's about speaking truth to power. So we call people on their abuse and their violations and the way that they are, are expressing, you know, their own um, issues with, with being oppressed by oppressing others. But primarily, we look at how those social constructs um, um, were created to oppress us and keep us in certain, certain conditions. And primarily, we ask for government accountability. We ask for city and agency, agency accountability, especially around policies that could really be created to, to, to prevent or stop some of these abuses, like we're about to talk about in terms of, of police abuse. Um, we provide a forum for testimony and voice, um, a public one, especially a public one for victims and survivors, um, to tell their stories, be heard by other members of society, provide the opportunity for those affected by the issue, both directly and indirectly, to engage in personal and communal process of healing, um, to shape resolution strategies and ultimately make demands for change or for reparations 
whether that be in monetary or funding form, in policy form, whether that is to ask for accountability, ask for education, ask for curricula to be developed and delivered, um, ask for an apology, um, ask for a memorial, a museum, institutional reform, government reform, reparations can look uh, many ways. It, it could look differently depending on what the situation is. So that's what our truth commissions are about, and that's what um, the truth commission on ending police violence in our communities is, is about. It's about including women's voices in the current advocacy for police reform, for community accountability, and for, I'm sorry, for police accountability and for community control. That's what the truth so, commission is demanding. So what Blueprint is doing, uh, mm -hmm. Black Women's Blueprint, for those of mm -hmm. you who do not know uh, and have just joined us, we're, we're talking with the co-founder of Black Women's Blueprint, uh, Farah Tanis. Uh, so how does the commission work? Do you move from community to community? Uh, do you... Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. supplement the activities of existing organizations that are focusing mm -hmm, on police, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. police misconduct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, the Truth Commission, on especially on police misconduct, is starting here in New York City. Um, we, move, we do move from community to community. So we're focusing in New York City, and after documenting our stories in New York City, and working in collaboration with other groups, as you said, many other groups are doing this work. Many other groups are doing this work, but there's a key component missing. Everybody's doing it and talking about themselves and talking about, oh, this is what happens to us. You know, this is, this is what racial profiling looks like. This is what it looks like when, you, when police harass the transgender or the LGBT uh, community. This is what it looks like in, when, when police uh, uh, harass or, or attack the, immigration, the immigrant community. But we need to bring all of this together. How much stronger would this movement be if everyone's stories were accounted for, including women's stories, because they are very specific stories, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about. Um, so, so a huge part of the work we're doing is really bringing everyone together, asking for inclusion, and just wanting our space at the table so that whatever strategies, whatever change is going to happen is not going to happen without us as women of color, as women of mm -hmm. African descent. Mm -hmm. for, the, for, for, the, for our audiences listening, many of us, uh, and I've been wondering this all day, Farah, uh, mm -hmm. in the context of all of the problems that press and burden our community mm -hmm. and continue to be spokes of oppression. And mm -hmm. I, I want to pose this out to the audience and have them to think about police accountability and what mm -hmm. we need to do. What we are we are being called to arms on mm -hmm. everything. And by arms, don't anybody get confused. I'm not talking about a Glock. I'm talking about arms to stand up, be courageous, get focused, mm -hmm. and resist. So for those of you who are new to this program, you will understand, I think that we are being called to arms on every front. Yes. But I want to pose the question that if if any of you consciously and unconsciously use reductionist terms like race card, which mm -hmm. seek to diminish and minimize the devastating impact of white supremacy on the lives of blacks, particularly when it comes 
to issues like the, you know, we we tend to sit in the background, some of you, and say, hey, but it's not really a race issue. Oh, why are we playing the race card on police accountability? There should be a police account. Why are we playing the race card? Mm-hmm. I want you to think about mm-hmm. whites invented the term race card to imply that black Americans are faking acts of racism. Mm. The example that I gave you about these two police officers in New York as we opened the program tonight is only one example. But I want Farah to inform Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And by informing us of the context and the background Mm -hmm. about police brutality and the mm-hmm. historical context of it in our community, why it mm-hmm. is important to focus on women and girls. Yes, yes. You know, when you think about criminal justice, right, you can think of the term, the term that comes to mind is what colonial justice, right? The plantations were policed. Um, uh, there's, there's a long history, long history. You talk about race, you talk about white supremacy and why these um, codes and these these ways of, of policing us were created to maintain that supremacy and to maintain that 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 construct and that that oppressive system. American police forces, they're products of of 19th century patrols, which were created by colonist, colonist communities, right, to prevent and detect crime and maintain general order. So when we talk about um, colonial justice, so so the colonial predecessors of American police forces were constables, you know, your sheriffs, your night watchmen, and, you know, I'll get to the KKK and the red shirts and the, the leatherheads in, in a minute. But, you know, these, these, that, that's how it started back then. So the plantations, the slaves were policed by, by overseers who, who especially had power and exploited black slaves, exploited slave women by coercing them into sexual acts or via forcible rape with beatings, other forms of severe punishments. These systems still exist today. You know, these things are still happening today. Um, For black women and girls in particular, racial and gender profiling were inextricably linked in the same sense, well, in the sense that there was, you know, heavy policing of morals, right? So, So to inform moral codes, of that day. They were heavily policed. This type of policing was meant to induce shame in women in particular and provide moral lessons for the spectators. So night at nighttime, nighttime back then was always regarded as especially dangerous times in colonial times, right? So it was enlivened. At night you had watchmen who policed the coming and going of both women and men, but especially of slaves, of black women and men. So if you were caught outside at a certain time and without a pass, at a certain time, that was it. It was legal to kill you. It was legal to do whatever. There was no civil rights. There was no human rights. It's where black people and black slaves were concerned. There were many ways in which racist and sexist images and representations of black women, black men too, but since we're, we're focusing on women so we can include ourselves in the discussion. Because I always find myself trying to convince people why we need to talk about black women, too, to make the movement stronger. So representations of black women contributed to a, to a, to a climate, contributed to the already existing climate of racial antagonism, right? Because mm-hmm. black women, first of all, 
were frequently tried as murderers, right, back in the day, especially murderers of their daughters. Now, we know about this phenomenon of slave women preferring to kill their girl children rather than leave them to be sexually exploited and raped by masters who had already raped them and that were, that were doing this all over the plantation. Okay, one case in particular was the case of Alice Clifton, who was a 17-year-old who murdered her illegitimate child in 1787. She was uh, uh, killed for that. Then then there was the social and economic boundaries that distinguished uh, uh, good wives from nasty wenches, as they called them back in the days, mistresses from maids, okay, in that both types of women were Anglo, white, and were Christian, as such white women were entitled to an elevated status, okay, one separate and above both Indian and African women at the time. So you had already a context and a view of what white women represented, okay? Mm -hmm. To be able to uphold that, you had to have, of course, the lower occupying the bottom rungs, the black woman in which she represented, okay, Um, uh, uh, you know, being policed, again, by moral, moral codes of that day. Um, colonists considered African women fundamentally lascivious, barbarous. You know, we were at some point, we've been called everything. We were morally, you know, loose. Um, we were uh, um, over-sexualized, you know, over all, all kinds of horrible things that really said that we were barbarians and inherently just criminals and inherently they could use us as they wanted. And these night watchmen did just that, Okay. So, mm-hmm. so you know, these, these, these were some of the historical contexts, right? So basically, and we see that in contemporary liter- uh, literature we see it now. in the we book see it now. Beloved uh, mm-hmm. Toni Morrison. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. So we were viewed as amoral, lawless right away because of the way we looked, because of our religious beliefs, um, because of the way they, they supposedly found us when they landed on the shores um, of Africa because we differed from them in so many ways. So they shaped our identities, and these identities that they shaped for us really proved damaging for black women, you know, because Europeans held females to an even stricter moral code than men. So appearing just as immoral as their male African counterparts, African women seemed far more depraved, therefore just basic, basically just always, always criminal, okay? Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. you had the KKK, um, policing uh, Africans and, and African-Americans. Um, uh, the first emergence of the KKK organized in the South was 1866, right, to oppose Reconstruction. You know, the whole, the whole, their sole reason was to enforce slavery in plantation districts, to keep slaves in their place or keep freed slaves in their place. Okay, by the 1920s, the KKK's membership was about 4 million. Now, sources differ. It's it, it, some places it says 2 million, some places it says 4 million. Now, just to give you an idea for comparison, in 2008, the Bureau of Labor Statistics stated that there were approximately 820,000 full-time state, city, university, and college, metropolitan, non-metropolitan, county, and other law enforcement officers employed in the United States. So you, you're, you, do, you, do you see, you know, how... how this is the historical context. This is, where we're, this is where we're coming from in terms of being policed, and this has not changed. The red shirt, same thing, traced back to Mississippi in 1875, started by conservative rifle clubs in the South. Same thing, 
white paramilitary groups uh, in in the uh, uh, in, in that century, active primarily, you know, for, for, for to oppose um, the Reconstruction era. Okay, they police black men's participation in elections. They police their wives and daughters of these men to keep these men in place. Okay, Ida B. Wells talks about it in her anti-lynching speeches. She talks about the red shirts. She spoke frequently of the attacks, the murder of black men, the lynching, the race of the of, of their wives. And, and their children. So that's part of the historical context. Sexual abuse and rape was rampant. While men, our men were being lynched, we were being lynched, and we were being sexually assaulted. Um, a new book released on um, Rosa Parks uh, by Danielle McGuire uh, talks about Rosa Parks and her activism on behalf of rape victims in the South and how these stories were, were, were basically, they, they remained invisible. So that's just now coming out. So it is time for us to really start looking at what black women are enduring today and how this comes from way back then and how it's time for that to change. We can't continue to live under the same system. Now, currently, in terms of the sexual uh, abuse and sexual violation of women by police nationally, there is a report that was recently, re- actually not recently, I mean, in May 2002, this report was released. It was called Driving While Female, um, a National Problem in Police Misconduct, okay? So the Driving While Female problem became apparent in early 2002 in a series of cases on Long Island, New York, okay? On New Year's Day 2001, a Sussex County, New York police officer stopped a female driver for an alleged traffic violation, and instead of issuing her a traffic ticket, forced her to strip and walk home wearing only her underpants, right? So the report of this incident brought forth similar allegations. All kinds of allegations started coming out of sexual abuse arising from traffic stops conducted by Long Island police by 13 women and one man, by the way, one man. Several, still, so, so, so this is something that is, is you know, sometimes can cross gender lines. Several of the cases involved allegations that police coerced sexual favors at the price of avoiding traffic tickets. Some of us know this. Some of us know friends that have dealt with this, but we're afraid to come forward, and sometimes for very, very good reasons. The publicity also brought forward a lot of nearly identical allegations against police officers in neighboring counties in New York, allegations of female drivers being harassed, um, and, and there are several, several of these dating way back. For example, okay, one of the grotesque cases, Tara Knott, a woman was murdered in 1986 by a predatory California Highway Patrol officer who stopped her for a traffic violation. In 1998, a Milwaukee police officer was sentenced to eight years in prison for sexually assaulting a female driver. Okay, in 1996. Okay, a police officer made 224 traffic stops in a four-month period in 1995, okay? It was discovered in 1996. He made 224 traffic stops in 1995 with 199 of those stops, 89% of those, of those stops involving female drivers that he had either sexually harassed, sexually molested, sexually assaulted, okay? A Chicago police officer that same year... MPR, and here's the 
A Chicago police officer was sentenced four years in prison for fondling women during traffic stops. So this goes on and on and on and on. You know, police officers were con- have been convicted, and some of them have gotten away with raping women, just like what just happened here in New York City. So this is a major, major problem. The film that we're working on, Under Siege, uh, uh, police, uh, uh, the policing of, of women and girls in America, features exactly those stories, women and girls talking today about what they're experiencing, of police stopping them in the street, asking them for their phone number, which constitutes sexual harassment, of police making them exit the, uh, from a highway into, into deserted areas where they're terrified. There's one case um, where, where this woman was told to exit. The police thought she was alone in her car, but she wasn't. But if she had been, who knows what would have happened. Poli- police are beating up women. All kinds of things are happening. So it's time for us to join together in this work. Well, uh, I was mm-hmm. just get Blog Talk Radio disconnected me there for a minute. It's all right, no problem, no problem. Um, you know, one of the things that 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 I want our audience to be cognizant of because this is such powerful insight. Mm-hmm, People, mm-hmm. Ha- I mean, this is when when we talk about at our common ground, paying attention. We have to look at the details that affect our lives. One of the things as you were as you were laying out this historical context that came to my mm-hmm. mind was mm-hmm. in the early nineteen in the mid nineteen nineties mm-hmm. when the war on drugs mm-hmm. really began yep. to to mm-hmm. to rev up. It was black women who were targeted. That's right. By law, not just by law enforcement, by law, because that was when the law changed and said that the girlfriends, wives, mothers, nieces, and and whoever else women in these drug dealers' lives would also be criminals if they were in any way associated with the activity around them. That's right. That was That's just right. another way. Mhm, mhm, mhm. That's right. And, and in the, fact, go ahead. Sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Now I was going to say, in fact, you know, just just based on what you're saying, in that ten year period, you talk about the '90s. I think it was between 1998 and 2008, and I'll get the, the correct year if, if I'm if I'm not stating it correctly. There was an increase in the female prison population by 800 percent. The female prison mm-hmm. population increase, and that was as a it, as a direct result of what you're saying of of the the uh, the drug laws, the supposed uh, drug wars um, in our communities, where women were casualties and men were casualties as well because of the strict you know there there were the, the street three strike laws. So yes, our communities have been devastated, and they continue to be devastated, and the women's prison population continues to increase. And so does the men. And this is why many activists, many of our partner organizations are calling for the elimination, for the abolition of, of prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's you know, a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, go ahead. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that strikes me in terms of this uh, significant increase in the prison population, especially in our federal prisons, in the mm-hmm. prison population of women is that the industries that make 
profit from mm-hmm, the work mm-hmm. of prisoners yes. is more detailed toward those skills that women have. And uh, for those of you who may want to comment on this, our number is 1347-838-9852. Or if you'd like to join us in our chat room at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, we certainly welcome you to do that. Our number again, 347-838-9852. And in this special edition of Our Common Ground, we are talking about the policing of girls. It is time for us to call and come to arms on the issue of sexual misconduct and sexual criminality by police officers in this country. It is time for us to call for accountability. Now, mm-hmm, let me mm-hmm. ask you, um, Farrah Tanis, who mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the co-founder of Black Women's Blueprint and our guest tonight, and we are so appreciative of you spending time with us. Um, with the Truth Commission on Criminal Justice, Violence Against mm-hmm. Women, which uh, Black Women's Blueprint sponsors, Mm-hmm. What are some of the issues that you are seeing and activities and initiatives mm-hmm. you are seeing uh, in New York, especially in response to the two? I, I, I know that one of the mm-hmm. things that the news reports kept on, on this case uh, of um, the two New York City police officers who were acquitted of rape, Mm-hmm. Who really couldn't show any other cause for being in this woman's apartment. Right, right. Um, was that the jury decisions under that jury decision underscored the difficulty of obtaining favorable results for women who say yep. they were sexually assaulted by police yep. officers. I think that we have to remember that it was the case in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the young woman's name, but her major advocate was Reverend Al Sharpton mm. back in the Back 80s. in the day. Are you talking about Tawana yes. Brawley? Mm-hmm. Tawana mm-hmm. Brawley. Yeah. That set the benchmark yes. for um, the conduct and behavior of police officers in this country. Yeah, yeah. Because and she, she was, simply was not believed. That's right. That's right. And I had Dr. Sh- uh, Reverend Sharpton on my show back at the time of this uh, event. So it had to be in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, it was beyond the pale that her credibility was at question rather than mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. investigation of the police officer's behavior. That's right. That's right, and that's exactly what happens in these cases. We were devastated when the verdict came in as not guilty of rape because I mean, to, 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 to us in the community, you know, we thought it was obvious. We thought, oh, my gosh, like, look at all this evidence. Look at all, look at, look at mm-hmm. this, look at that. And it, it came back not guilty, and to be honest with you, some of us working at Black Women's Blueprint, I mean, that, that struck fear in our hearts because we, you know, people were 
were on on um, social media networks saying it's open season now. You know, mm-hmm. on women. Mm-hmm. It's open mm-hmm. season in terms of sexual assault. We're not believing. There are several cases. I mean, we're focusing on police, but then there are several cases of just, you know, uh, uh, regular civilians assaulting uh, women and, and, and sexually assaulting and raping women and getting away with it. And the women are always framed, and especially if it's a woman of color, they are always framed, as, as it's been said in the media, as hookers as prostitutes, as having been loose or as having been sexually promiscuous. Now, I don't know if you know, but in this case with those two police officers the other day in New York City, that was a white woman. And they still got away with Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. got away with it. So then what does that say for us who are black women, who are Latinas, who are Asians, who are immigrants? You know, who are of sexual minorities from the LGBT community? What does that say uh, for us? What message does that send to the community? You know, to, to us, that said to us, we need to figure out ways to deal with issues in the community that don't involve the police because the police uh-huh. won't protect you. We need to come up with strategies where we develop ways of holding each other accountable you know, we need to figure out how we teach human rights and we teach civil rights so we can respect each other's rights. And we need to teach that from when we're little so that we can begin to no longer depend on these systems that are built to keep us oppressed and built to keep us in the situations that we're in so we don't have to depend on them anymore. So it, mm-hmm. it is a serious, serious issue. There has been... Uh, people have really been galvanized to, and, and mobilized to action in New York City. There are several marches. They're not letting this go. It is it, 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 it's something that uh, is pleasantly surprising that people are not letting this go. Um, mm-hmm. Several organizations, legal organizations, everybody's rallying together. And with our voice, we're saying we need to do this together. When there's a rally, we all need to be there. When there's a protest, well, we all need to be there to, to speak on this and, and make demands. Mm-hmm. You're listening mm-hmm. to Our Common Ground, uh, speaking truth to power and ourselves with Black Women's Blueprint. Uh, the co-founder, Farah Tanis, is with us tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm Janice Graham. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about these people that we are talking about and the goal and the mission to protect your mother, mm-hmm. your daughter, mm-hmm. your niece, mm-hmm. and your aunt. I'm Janice Graham. We'll be right back. You stay with us. Our number is 347-838-9852. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about ways in which you should be talking to the female loves of your lives about how they can protect themselves as well. MP, and, and here's the children's part of it. MPR leans to the right. MPR leans, and you can ask, you know, and when I say MPR leans to the right, I'm simply speaking about who they have on. They have twice as many conservatives on spewing bovine excrement than they do liberals with their chicken excrement. So at some point in time, you have to step back and you have to say, where's the job? What job bills have they introduced? The only thing Republicans have introduced is 
spending cuts that will cost 700,000 jobs. They are clearly trying to shut down our uh, economic growth and our recovery. You've got governors all over the country turning down jobs for speed rail. Now, regardless of how you feel about the speed rail, you mean the French can do it? Japan can do it, the Chinese can do it, Europe, they can do it over there, but we can't do it here? You know, where is this exceptionalism coming from when we are so um, mired in ignorance and mired in, 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 in just, just total obstruction? Listening to the best Pushback Politics, The Alpha Show. I believe in love. I believe in taking responsibility. I believe in using condoms. Yo confío en mi comunidad. I believe in being honest and open. I believe in keeping my partner safe. I believe in myself. I believe in stopping HIV. I believe in the future. HIV stops with me. 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 Our Common Ground. Talk that matters. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. about a very staid and a very important issue that in the context of police brutality, police abuse, and police misconduct, we have women who are especially vulnerable to the power, jurisdictional authority that police have in our communities. And they use it to rape and to molest and to abuse women. Thank you very much, uh, Farah Tanis, who is a co-founder of Black Women's Blueprint, for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. We do want to remind you our regular broadcast will be with Dr. Jared Ball tomorrow night. 
He's a columnist with the Black Agenda Report, and I've got some questions for him, and he's got a lot of answers. And don't forget about our special on Monday, July 18th. My dear, dear sister, Kimba Smith, will be granting us the first interview as she presents her book, Poster Child, The Kimba Smith Story. And we'll be talking more about that later in the broadcast. Sarah, thank you so much for spending this time before we mm-hmm. went to break. And, you know, I want to say to you, I, I've been wanting to mm-hmm. say to, the, to you for years, no. what you do is so important. I mean, I've been I've been watching what you do for probably around two or three years, and especially mm-hmm. over the last two years at mm-hmm. Facebook. Yeah. And it is so important for mm-hmm. us to understand as as you as you put it to understand what empowerment of women mm-hmm. meets, means all together mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. our community um, okay. and for those of you who are listening if you're really interested in empowering in our community if you're really interested in being serious activists serious resistance Revolutions, your revolution can be very quiet, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it can be very meaningful at the same time. And uh, it's interesting that the Black Women's Blueprint uh, Mm -hmm. is a movement. And its theme also is speaking truth to power and reclaiming ourselves, shaping Mm -hmm. culture and reclaiming peace. peace. And thank you so much. Uh, for for organizing it, for being an instrument in our community, you know, and we can sit around and we can call as many talk shows as we want. And mm-hmm. I have to say, I am a talk show head, talking head, but. Talking means nothing. Understanding mm-hmm. means nothing. You can read all the books that you want, but if you do not act, it does not matter. That's right. That's right. It's like the bear and its excrement in the woods. Mm-hmm. If you're not there, you can't smell it. And we want to thank mm-hmm. you for being with us. Alpha is our chat room moderator tonight. We thank him so very much. And don't forget to catch the Alpha Show. It's Just Damn Politics tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m. at truthworksnetwork.com or Blog Talk Radio Truthworks Network. Uh, We hope you will join him as he discusses the political events of the week. Uh, Sarah, let's not turn Mm -hmm. our attention to what you're finding communities are really doing about mm-hmm. uh, politi- police misconduct right. against women. Right, right. Well, you know, communities are doing a lot. They're doing Know Your Rights training. There are several organizations, including legal organizations, doing Know Your Rights training in, in throughout throughout the United States. In New York, there are maybe six or seven or eight different trainings and different communities doing it in different languages 
um, we, as far as I know, are the first ones doing it with a focus on specific issues that women come to us with. So, you know, issues like, uh, um, you know, police officers uh, arresting people, and, and if you have more than three um, condoms, if, if they arrest a woman, if you have more than three condoms in your bag, they can uh, um, take that in as evidence that you're, you're prostituting. Um, they're using loitering laws. Uh, so, you know, women are being targeted in different ways where we need to really talk about the private spaces, the specific ways that we are being targeted, um, uh, uh, issues, for example, in domestic violence cases, when a police officer is called to someone's home, um, some of the conduct and, and, and some of the, the things that they say, police, uh, women reporting that, you know, police are questioning them um, when they're, they're, supposed, they're calling for, for um Protection. Police are, are asking who started it, which is something they're not supposed to do. Um, you know, there are specific things police are supposed to do, like they're supposed to look at, at whether, you know, someone needs to receive medical help. They're supposed to be here to serve. You know, they're not supposed to be in your house abusing you verbally or physically or sexually, whether you're a man uh-huh. or a woman. So, you know, are these are some of the things that people need to know. without knowing any exactly. of the Without mm-hmm. exactly, and and it's not their, it's you know to a certain degree it's not their job. They're not the jury. They're not the judge. You know they have a job to do, and it's to come in and to serve. And it's 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 not to harass people on the street. It's not to stop young girls, as we've seen, you know, and ask them for their phone numbers. You know, there's yeah. not there. It's it's not it's not. So there are specific yeah. things that we're teaching. So our our event um, on Monday is going to be talking about. Um, specific ways and specific situations where people really need to know their rights. If you don't know your rights, you don't know if they're being violated because we've lived yeah. under such a system that tells us that, you know, it's okay uh, or, or where it's accepted. We, we live in rape culture, you know. We live in a culture of oppression. We live in racist culture. So where people think it's okay or, or they accept that someone touches them in the wrong way or that someone speaks to them in a way that's demeaning, that they don't even recognize when, you're civil, when their civil rights or their human rights are being violated, where women are, are thinking that it's safe to just open the door just because somebody knocks on the door and says that they're the police, you know, that, 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 it's, that it's okay if the police just, you know, um, uh, ask you for your ID that you should. You don't have to answer the police. You don't have to, at least in the state of, in New York, in New York City, there are certain, certain things you don't have to do. So specific rights is really important for people to know uh, yeah. what their yeah. rights are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, let's, let's, um, let's take some of our calls. We've got a board mm-hmm. of calls, and people have been waiting for a while, mm-hmm. Farah, and I'm sure that some of them may be calling at 347-838-9852 to ask specific questions about their rights. 111, you're on the air. I respect you at our common ground, Hotep, and welcome to our Friday night special with Black Women's Blueprint. Uh, thank you. Thank you guys for um, actually doing this. Um, I, I saw the posting on Facebook and um, had to take a minute and call in because it's something that's very personal to me. Um, as someone who has been physically assaulted by the police, um, you know, as a, a black woman, it's 
it it everything that you're saying is so so true and it is very scary and you know i i would love if um Farrah, you could offer some type of i guess some advice you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what is it that what are things that i can do to mm-hmm. feel comfortable in how I interact with the police should it ever happen again. Okay. Well, you know, thank you uh, for calling. You know, I I definitely honor that you are listening to this show, that it's important to you, and that you're calling to share that you've had an experience and that you're seeking uh, uh, information. Um, I want to also be sure if if our, our number is on the posting also. So please Call us. We can definitely have a one-on-one, and you can, if you're in the New York area, please do come on Monday where we'll give detailed information. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I don't like to use this um, resource, but right now this is the resource that is available, um, the CCRB, the Civilian Complaint Review Board. Um, I, there, there you know, are statutes of limitations, but the CCRB is a place where you can make a complaint against the police. You know, there are limits, and there is a lot of advocacy in terms and and criticism of the CRB because the CCRB can only recommend punishment for allegations of misconduct um, by the police that the board, that the the complaint review board itself has substantiated, okay? Um, So, so, you know, we would have to hear the details of the case. There are legal services agencies. The Legal Aid Society, for one, is incredible. The, the American Civil Liberties Union, these are all our partners. We have specific phone numbers, direct lines that we can give you to speak with somebody about the specifics of your case. Mm-hmm. So, and and the, the thing is to, to know your rights. There are mm-hmm. resources that we can offer you. If you send your email to Janice or you send your email um, to us, we can send you information that you need because there's a lot that you need to know in terms of your rights, and we would need to know the specifics of your case to give you those details. Mhm. Mhm. Let me ask mm-hmm. the caller. Uh, mm-hmm. Was this a recent event? Um, no, it's not a recent event. But I've had mm-hmm. multiple situations where I've been stopped and pulled into secluded areas, um, mm-hmm. where I've been alone in the car, and it's you know a, a male officer. Um, mhm. So it's mm-hmm. just the two of us in a secluded area. Um, mm-hmm. So there have been several instances. It's not just one specific situation, mm-hmm. um, and it's not necessarily something, you know, it, in in the immediate, in my immediate yeah. history. I'd say in the last two years, where it hasn't been anything that was that was more than just something about this is uncomfortable and not mm-hmm. safe and mm-hmm. not really knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. Because well, we there, have you on there, the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I want to make a comment, get your get your response and get a response from Farah. One mm-hmm. of the things that really uh, comes to mind as we talk about these issues, especially around the vulnerability of mm-hmm. women in dealing with law enforcement, that there is some mindset which mm-hmm. indicates that different kind of police have a different kind of mindset, like the local police. Like I, I'm in Boston. Mm-hmm. 
the Boston police is somehow different from the state police, and the state police mm-hmm. is somehow different mm-hmm. from the federal police, and they all mm-hmm. are more sophisticated mm-hmm. than the other, and a blah, blah, blah. But one of the things we have to understand is that these people are hired in the same way. It's a matter of being in the right place in the right time, uh, at the right time, whether you're a federal cop or a state cop or mm-hmm. a local mm-hmm. cop. The other is that we tend to be, we tend to acquiesce. Mm-hmm. For instance, a caller is saying that she's been pulled over in a place that wasn't really a. a it was kind. Of, it sounds like you were saying it was isolated and Very. it wasn't a safe place. No. And and one of the things that we have to be careful about, especially being black, is that. Armed law enforcement is more likely to happen if you're black than mm-hmm. if you're not. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, uh, I, I, I had an intimidation by a police department many years ago, and what I did is I just kept driving until I got to the police station. I got mm. out of my car and walked into the police station mm. and, and had decided I will deal with whatever it is with more officers present yes. than this just this one officer present. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And if mm-hmm. you are, so we and have if to you think through those things. Yes. Go I ahead, Laura. It's, yeah, you're 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 on point there uh, uh, when you say just keep driving and don't don't stop in a secluded area and deal with it when you get to the police station. But if you do, you are stopped. If they stop you in your car, you know the the ACLU says. Keep your hands where the police can see them, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's terrible because it's like, my gosh, you, there's such a helplessness, you know, and there's such mm-hmm. a sense of control that this authority, supposedly authority figure who uses his badge and his gun to control, you know, you, you, you have to show your driver's license. You have to show your registration and proof, proof of insurance. If you're asked to show these documents, if the police pull you over, you know, officers can ask you to step, also ask you to step outside of your car. They may be, you know, they may separate you from a passenger. If 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 there's a passenger in your car, they can ask you specific questions. But there's got to be, you know, probable cause. If you're not uh, uh, guilty of a crime, and if there's no no evidence that there's been uh, um, a crime, you know, there's really no reason, you know, for mm-hmm. them to, to to stop you. And one of the things that you can ask. Is am I free to go? If you see that things are just going in a direction where you know you, you ask simply, "Am I free to go?" And that's something well, that it, you know we we're, we and and they have they have to say yes unless they're going to arrest you they have to let you go because that. But there's this other element, know. Farah, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is very frightening, and this is what black yes. people have to understand. We have to come to grips with. We 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 really it's painful. It's, mm-hmm. it's part of the the legacy of pain for us, but it mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. there are people who could care less about yep. what the law yep. says that they must do, even if they are a police officer. Mm-hmm. And we have to learn to to balance between staying alive Yep. Okay. That's that's how how grave this issue is, and not having our rights violated. 
mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you just have to teach your children from a very early age how to make that calculation. That's right. How many black boys have we seen shot down in the street by police officers because right. nobody told them, mm-hmm. just be quiet, keep your eyes to the to the ground, and wait it out. And your hands on the wheel because anything, exactly. any movement, any sudden movement, you know, exactly. any sudden movement could be caused, and exactly. they're just looking for an excuse. And as a woman, any sudden movement could be caused for them to pull you out your car and, and, and assault you. So, you know, I, I, I yeah. this is this is a, a very, very critical and important, and I think that it's important for, you know, folks like you to, to join this movement and to tell those stories so other people can come forward, other women can come forward, and so that as a collective we can begin to make our voices heard and we can begin to engage in actual advocacy, whether that's silent or, or loud, but we need to do something. You know, for slavery to yes. end, for us to get civil rights, we had to we had to make noise, we had to de- make demands, we had to fight for this, and so we got to do it, and we got to do it with the tools of the day. Mm-hmm. If it's mm-hmm. the law, if it's social, if it's if it's protesting, if it's social media, if it's voicing what we need to voice, if it's documenting, if it's cop watch, if it's teaching know your rights to your neighbor, to your children, if it's teaching those survival skills, then that's what we have to do. Well, one of the things I think that we have to also be is proactive to make mm-hmm. sure that our local media, forcing mm-hmm. our local media to cover these issues and to make it more public as an right. I- as a public issue. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate this caller because we have to have people who do follow-up. You know, sometimes we, we get back behind the wheel and the mm-hmm. officer has, I think about one of the most important movies. I don't know if either anybody in the audience of either of you uh, saw the movie Crash or Crush or mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I have, I'm having a little chemo brain here, but uh, it was with with uh, Terrence Howard. Mm-hmm. And yes. in that movie, if you watch mm-hmm. the hopelessness, the helplessness. Yes in mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. The, the black couple experience a dealing yes. with this officer. Yep, yep. And the officer was so pathological, he could mm-hmm. not connect the dots of his helplessness around his father mm-hmm. and how they were experiencing his intrusion and violation of the law. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, we're dealing with, Especially in this environment where they all gone crazy over this black black uh, president, so yeah, <laughs> everybody's you know? mad, right? You know, so um, I, I think that one of the things that is the most important thing when you live in isolated communities is to know mm-hmm. your police chief and have your police chief know you. Mm-hmm. If you live in small communities. Mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm, live mm-hmm. in a in an urban setting, is to connect with whatever community organization mm-hmm, is working mm-hmm. on the issues of community policing. Yes. Well, I, you know, for me, I, I definitely think that it's offering that information because, you know, and and it's 
in those non-traditional ways because, you know, I, when you're in that position, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wish I would have driven to the police station, you know, but mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. being from that area, not knowing where the police station was, and, and really getting those messages that, mm-hmm. and, and the, I'll say the silent messages also, that, you know, they have the power and, you know, mm-hmm. it. I should be fearful. You know, mm-hmm. not that mm-hmm. you're there to protect me, it's that I should be fearful. And mm-hmm. so if you're telling me to pull over, even if I'm afraid, that's what I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm going to pull over here because that's what I'm supposed to do. Because if I don't and I don't listen, then are you going to arrest me because I was, uh, uh you know, avoiding mm-hmm. or, you know, is, is mm-hmm. it going to turn into something else? You know, mm-hmm. but, you, but, but you have to also understand what police officers are being trained to do. Most police departments will will train their officers, if it's in an isolated place and it's a female in a car alone, to allow that person to get near a light or outside of the isolation mm-hmm. zone. Mm-hmm. Now that's good community policing. Yeah. So you were absolutely right to be fearful when an officer was trying to pull over a woman alone at night in an isolated area. Mm-hmm. Your 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 radar was right on on cue. Yeah. Right. But one of the things one of the things I I, I want to talk about we've had this question come up in mm-hmm. our chat room tonight and that is. How much, uh, Farah, this may be this mm-hmm. is a question for you, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I am so grateful to have you call, or call us, and I hope you'll join us tomorrow night here at Our Common Ground. We Our regular broadcast is from 10 to midnight on Saturday, and we'll be Great. with Dr. Jared Ball of right. Morgan State University. Okay. Sounds Thank wonderful. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Thank you guys for doing this. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about Mm -hmm. is how much cover-up goes on uh, in in these situations. Wow. Well, that's that's uh, that's something that you know. I mean, since what? Since since police started, you know, since since I guess the United States or the country started trying to hold police accountable. You know, there's been cover-up. There's always been cover-up. I mean, you know, if you you look throughout the history, and there's nothing specifically that I can name now, but I can definitely get you, you know, some stories where there's been corruption. There's corruption throughout the police uh, um, department. Um, and, of, of course, there is cover-up. In fact, in this recent case, um, one of the things that communities are talking about is how is it that, uh, um, you know, they didn't find or, or any DNA, or how is it that, um, you know, whatever evidence went back into the very police department, right, to look into and mm-hmm. to investigate the very police department that these two police officers came from. And, you know, people are questioning it, and people will question, and they have a right to question and wonder how much these police officers who got away with this were protected, you know, how much cover-up went on for them to be able to be acquitted and, and for, for, you know, a jury to sit there and say that there wasn't enough evidence or she wasn't credible enough or there wasn't enough DNA, 
You know, that, that, that makes no sense. So all these cases really, you know, they, it, it, it makes it a valid question. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to say specifics about, you know, what's cover-up or what, what's happened, but mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think that as, as, you know, as people, as community people, as citizens, we have a right to ask that question, you know, about mm-hmm. cover-up. We have a right to be suspicious because some of these cases are outrageous, some of them that look mm-hmm. obvious to us. You know, and, or, and then yeah. there's the normal mm-hmm. blue, blue curtain or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, the, the blue, the wall of silence. Yes, the blue of wall silence. of silence. That's exactly. right. With the other, but, you with know, the other officer. One of the mm-hmm. things that I want people in the audience to really get a hold of tonight, because that's how mm-hmm. we speak truth to power, mm-hmm. is that police officers have an awful lot of power over mm-hmm. individuals in their communities. I'll give you a good example. If you go into the state of Florida and you and you and you travel on either I ninety five or you travel on the Florida Turnpike, you'll see all these cars with Florida license plates and it has these decals on it that says Palm Beach County Sheriff Fraternity mm. uh, League, Palm Beach County Police Department, uh uh cheer team or whatever it says. And you have to make a donation to these police law enforcement associations to get these decals. Now, uh, if you're going 90 miles per hour up at 95 and you have one of those decals, it's less likely you'll get stopped. Mm. Wow. And that's why people always buy them. Oh, my gosh. They always donate. The other part of it is when you call into a police department, your 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 name, your address, everything, your per, where you live mm-hmm. comes up on that screen, and it is logged. So believe it when you see um, some of these TV shows or movies where police are very corrupt. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think about Brooklyn's Finest, and I think about mm-hmm. some some other movies that I have seen. That just as Toni Morrison didn't make up the idea that a mother would kill her child before she saw them living in slavery when she yes. was a slave, yes, yes, that those movies didn't make up that stuff. They mm-hmm. got that from the records and their understanding mm-hmm. and their discussions That's with right. actual police officers. Then you've got. In small communities, the medium-sized communities, the existence of these personal relationships between the police department and the judges and Mm -hmm. the prosecutors. So Mm -hmm. they got you coming and going, Farah. Yeah, they do. They do, and and, they they always have. And and you think about, you know, for I I keep going back to the Tawana Brawley case. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of, from from all of the pathologies that I understand, I just don't see a 15-year-old making right. up the story that she right. reported. Right, right. Until this day, people see her as a liar, as someone who made up a story, and and it's it's this is exactly this is exactly this is the lot. 
This is the lot mm-hmm. and the burden of, of women of color and, again, in particular, black women. You know, this is how uh, it works. You know, we're, we're back in the day, what was it? We were, un, we were not rapeable because we were so sexually promiscuous, because that's exactly what we wanted, supposedly. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was how mm-hmm. we were framed. And so whenever well, well the thing it was, is it, became, it became it 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 was it was a framing in the in the 1990s when we began mm-hmm. to see black women as mules and gold there's a whole thing exactly. about gold diggers and mules gold diggers, and, and all mules, of that stuff. Jezebels, mommies, um matriarchs, you know, um That's just right. completely vilified throughout history until this day completely vilified, mm-hmm. so that when one of us comes forward and says, this happened to me, our character is put into question. That's if we come forward, because less mm-hmm. than 15% of us report it when there's a rape or a sexual assault um, against us, less than 15%. And that is mm-hmm. the very reason for that is because there is a culture of not believing us, you know, and mm-hmm. there is a culture mm-hmm. of us just being vilified, and there is something that is intergenerational, multi-generational, in the sense that uh, it happened to our mothers before us, it happened to our grandmothers before us, and yeah. we are just being asked to survive. Yeah, and yeah. Right, I want to talk about mm-hmm. that. I need to go to a break, but mm-hmm. I think we need to have an intimate conversation in our mm-hmm. community and it starts here again at our common ground at 347-838-9852, how we participate in our own vilification. Yeah. Because if you do not understand the mm-hmm. journey under which black women are burdened in this community, mm-hmm. then you can't mm-hmm. see the whole picture. This is Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and our guest tonight is the co-founder of Black Women's Blueprint, Farah Tanis. We'll be right back. Just like the city that stagger on the coastline And a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America My mother shaped me as an actor, as a musician, as a human being. So when she was diagnosed with colon cancer, it was like our entire family got cancer. And she died when she was only 56, so this is personal. And hopefully my heartbreak is your wake-up call. You can prevent colorectal cancer. If you're 50 or older, get screened. Screening saves lives. Have we looked, at, looked into the eyes of evil, pure evil, and said to ourselves, what is this country coming to? What have these bigoted races, and I'll repeat it, bigoted races, 
Anybody wants to challenge me on that? Have that. Have that. Reload some Alpha, the Mo Alpha Show, on TruthWorks Network. Common Ground at Blog Talk Radio. We are here every Saturday, 10 p.m. This is a special talking about it is time for us to call police sexual misconduct against women in our communities and to call it and bring accountability to it. Our guest tonight, Black Women's Blueprint, the co-founder is Farah Tunis. Farah, how did you get involved? in developing uh, this uh, organization and getting to um, your mission? Well, you know, I have been involved in uh, the social justice movement um, since, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, since 1995. And really I started working with uh, an advocacy group that was advocating on behalf of uh Haitian immigrants and refugees um, uh, who were who were coming uh, to the shores of the United States, you know, HIV positive and having experienced um, high levels of violence in, in their home country as a result of political strife, um, high levels of personal violence in their homes and were escaping for various reasons. And so my work began there in terms of protecting the rights of immigrants and um, ensuring that um, you know, they weren't just uh, being arbitrary, arbitrarily detained and that they could receive asylum um, in this country. Um, my work continued. Uh, I, I began then to, to work in a shelter. I, I moved on to working in a shelter. It was a women's shelter where um, the, the, the shelter officials were abusing uh, women. And that was, you know, I, I, I remember these incidences where I, I just became outraged, you know, turn after turn, first discovering that these people were escaping political strife, but then also personally in their lives, they were experiencing personal violence. You know, uh, young young uh, children um, arriving here, um, pregnant, traumatized, um, some being sent back. Then moving on to the shelter, uh, I'm working here, uh, finding out that p- uh, shelter police or shelter uh, uh, guards are abusing women, where I was basically sort of, um, you know, stuck in between trying to, you know, alleviate the situation, trying to go to the higher-ups, um, you know, stepping up, uh, changing policies, and basically acting as an advocate and hitting a wall there in terms of the authorities. Um, and then, you know, I moved on to working with a human rights organization. I founded another human rights organization prior to Black Women's Blueprint um, that was working specifically on issues of domestic violence, um, that was working, uh, advocating to um, get the Violence Against Women Act passed and reauthorized 
on a regular basis, um, working around um, uh, laws and, and, and policies dealing with sexual assault and dealing with sexual abuse, um, dealing with domestic violence. I've done trainings at the police precinct where I went and, and, and trained police myself during roll call about um, people's rights and what to do when working in our communities, in communities of color, if there's a domestic violence situation, if there's a sexual assault situation. Um, and this was around uh, the, you know, Patrick Dory's Law, the, the, the Amadou Diallo cases, and all of these things where the, the community was, was rightfully outraged and that placed domestic violence victims and other, you know, victims of crime in a position where it was like, okay, do I call the police to come once again into my community and, and, and harm my people, or, you know, do I just, you know, deal with it? And, and how am I going to mm-hmm. figure out other ways? So, you know, this, these are the kinds of, that's the kind of work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I served we, for, mm-hmm. Many, mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. for many years on the board of the Jane Doe, Foundation, which uh-huh. is one of the oldest uh, mm-hmm. organizations, advocates for victims of intimate and domestic violence mm-hmm. um, um, in uh, the country. Mm-hmm. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I'm seeing now, and one of the things that Jane Doe had accomplished here in Boston and really across Massachusetts mm-hmm. um, and the region, was to really have an educated and informed uh, police management. Right. I'm seeing that dissolve. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing it dissolve not only around the issues of how the police handle domestic violence, but also how the police handle themselves. And I think yeah. the immigrant uh, issue is mm-hmm. an important one. But what about sex workers and members of the mm-hmm. LGBT? Populations. Our number, Uh-oh. by the way, is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. If you'd like to join us in this conversation. Mhm, mhm. What well, about you know? The, well, these are these are the, the minority populations also. You know, people that that um, you know police see as as um, inherently deviant, right? Just as they do with people of color, just as they do with, you know, and they did with women. Um, It's the same thing with sex workers. Sex workers are harassed on a regular basis by um, police officers. Um, You know, part of our Know Your Rights training is going to include a clear definition of what constitutes sex work or prostitution as defined by by, um, New York penal law. You know, as and it is defined as engaging or agreeing to engage in sexual conduct with another person in, in exchange um, for a fee. One of the questions that come to us a lot from a lot of young women, especially, is can police charge you with prostitution based on your mode of dress? No, they cannot. That's number one. However, right, New York does have a loitering uh, 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 law, loitering for the purpose of engaging in prostitution offense statute. It's called right, which criminalizes remaining or wandering about in a public space, in a public place, repeatedly, right, or beckoning to or stopping people or attempting to stop people. You could be stopping people for any reason, you know, or, or attempting to engage passerbys in conversation or, or for whatever reason. We have young people at the pier in New York City. I don't know if you, have, if you, know, if you know the pier in New York City where yes. there's a lot uh-huh. of LGBT youth that hang out at the pier, and they are constantly, constantly being harassed constantly being um, moved off of the pier. Uh, just well, they're being they're moved off. because of tourists. 
they're being moved into the, the tourists. But, mm-hmm. And and, for, and the police are call themselves protecting tourists. Yes. But the, yes. they're being charged with, you know, loitering and other offenses. They're being, you know, harassed and, and, and labeled and, and, and framed as prostitutes and, you know, and so are young women. I mean, it's, it's there are there are definitely, uh, um, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of reason people to know their rights in, the, in these situations. And these particular populations are definitely in, in, a, in a, you know, in, a, in a, it's a, the bottom rungs. They occupy some of the bottom rungs, you know, when it comes to the way that police um, view our communities and the way that they police our communities. Mm-hmm. Our number is 347-838-9852, and we're soliciting your response to uh, our discussion about police sexual misconduct Mm -hmm. and criminality in our community. And we also want to know if you have women in your family, women in your workplace who might have gotten into a situation with police where they were uncomfortable or didn't know Mm -hmm. what to do. For instance, Farrah, let me ask you, Mm-hmm. Uh, for our audience to be able to talk to, especially to their young people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what are some of the things the cops are not allowed to do during a stop and frisk? Well, during a stop our and young frisk, people are always harassed by that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. During a stop and frisk, the cops are not allowed to go. For for example. If, if it's a if it's a male police officer or even if it's a female police officer, they're not allowed to to search you under your clothing. Okay, that is another thing. A lot of people are stopped and frisked and they are touched inappropriately. So that is one thing that they're not they're not allowed to do. You know, whether you're a sex worker, whether you're a member of the LGBT community, you have a you have constitutional rights. Okay, that apply to you just as they do to any person in an interaction with the police. You know, including the right to remain free from unreasonable searches, unreasonable seizures, and the re- and, and also the right to remain silent. That is the other thing. You know, we talked about um, pr- protecting yourself and survival. You know, you have the right to remain silent. Now, you know, especially after um, 9-11, um, police can stop you and they can search you, they can search your bag. You know, in in the the New York City subway system, a lot of people have complained of um, police stopping them and asking them to open their bags and search their bags. You know, some of the things that you can do is you don't have to enter that subway. You don't have to allow them to search your bag. You cannot enter the subway, and you can go elsewhere and enter the subway elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So these are, you know, these are some of the the things that I think that, you know, people really, really should know. Even if it's Mm -hmm. a situation in terms of being searched um, in your home, you know, even if if the police, you know, show up at your home, a police officer knocks on your door. A lot of people think it's okay to open it. To open it, don't open the door. Ask through the door if the police has a warrant. If the answer is no, do not let them into your home, and do not answer any questions or say anything other than I do not want to talk to you. If the officers say that they do have a warrant, let's say they okay, oh, I say I have, we have, we have a warrant. Ask the officers, slip it under the door, okay, mm-hmm. or show it to you. Ask them to show it through you, to you through the peephole or a window in your house, okay, or a door that is open only enough to see the warrant. 
but you have rights. You don't have to open the door just because they knock on your door. Okay, if you feel you must open the door, then you can step outside. That's another thing people don't know. You can step outside, you can close the door behind you, and you can ask to see the warrant outside. Make sure the search warrant, now when you see that search warrant, make sure the search warrant contains everything, you know, certain things that need to be noted. You know, it needs you to need say. You need to see the restrictions and the detail exactly. of what is being allowed to be searched. Exactly. And it's sometimes exactly. It's, it's only the kitchen. Sometimes exactly. it's only the basement. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Sometimes it's only under the sofa. You yep. know, one of the things that is so problematic in all of this is that people are simply intimidated by the stature that law enforcement people carry. And mm-hmm. one of the things I've been a, 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 a uh, an advocate of is that the law ought to carry much more punishment mm-hmm. for police officers when they violate the law, and it mm-hmm. does not. The other part that is so problematic is that our intimidation, our emotion, our fear, uh, mm-hmm. the, inti- the intimidation that we feel when we're dealing with law enforcement and law authorities, which mm-hmm. is not the same thing as a police, like if a prosecutor or a state prosecutor shows up at your door, a state investigator, mm-hmm. they are still law authorities. That's right. That we have to talk. That's right. We seem to, our our fear tends to make us start talking. Yep. Yes, it does. And yes, it does. we are mm-hmm. intimidated by by verbal musing, what I call verbal musing by law enforcement says, well, you know, if you don't tell us the truth now, we'll find out. You know, our Mm -hmm. attitude ought to be then go find out. Yep. If you think I know that, then why are you asking me? That's right. You see, those are the things we have to know our rights so that Mm -hmm. we can be empowered when we deal with the police uh, That's a, right. The police presence. You know, and a frisk. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. In a frisk. Frisks are uh, very important because our young people yeah. are just subjected to frisk exactly. all the time. Exactly. There are frisks and then there are there are searches. You know, a search, for example, is more intrusive than a frisk. You know, it, it requires, mm-hmm. for example, you know, a higher standard of, of justification. So, for example, a search requires probable cause. Okay? It may be conducted with or without a warrant. That's another thing. You know, according to the circumstances, a, a search can be conducted with or without a warrant. If you've been detained, for example, and in, 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 in an officer, a police officer, begins to search you, you know, you can, however, use the term, you do have a right to say, I do not consent to this search. Say it loud, and hopefully there is someone around you who will be witness mm-hmm. to that, that you said I do not consent mm-hmm. to this search. Mm-hmm. Okay? A few important things. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ahead, I, that mm-hmm. leads me to the question of the newest strategy mm-hmm. by police, because people have started to get smart about videotaping with their cell phones, yes, taking pictures, yes. and taking audio yes. of the transaction. Mm-hmm. And police have started destroying that kind of evidence. Yes, yes. They're not only destroying the evidence, they're changing the law. There's a big, I'm not sure if it's done already yet in New York City, and I can find this out too and and send you the information, but there is a uh, group 
have been, advocacy groups have been doing what's called um, Cop Watch. You know, the Malcolm mm-hmm. X grassroots movement, yes. the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, all of these wonderful, dynamic um, uh, def- rights defenders have been doing these Cop Watch trainings, and people have been watching the cops, and that has caused such controversy because cops don't necessarily want you to see what they're doing. They don't want to be caught in camera, you know, breaking and violating the law, not to mention your God-given human rights. And so there mm-hmm. are, they're, they're fighting this. They're fighting this, and I'm not sure. I mean, it's so, so far I'm hearing from, you know, different, different sources that either it is legal, it's still legal, it's, it's not legal anymore, there's a policy against it, but I can definitely find out um, for folks. And one of the other things that we're going to do is on our website and even on our Facebook, if you friend us on Facebook, we will have those resources posted in terms of information, in terms of details, pages upon pages with specific instances of Know Your Rights and specific things dealing with whether or not you can still do cop watch and whether or not it's still legal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, and it goes back to if people do not understand that race is important, let mm-hmm. me deliver this message right now. There mm-hmm. are people in our community who do not have to work, worry about these things? Yep. We yep. have to worry about these things, and that is why mm-hmm. race matters. Mm-hmm. Yes. And for people who want to deny that it does not matter, all you have to do is look at the statistics mm-hmm. and see the difference between um, how... Law enforcement responds in our communities based on yes. how it responds in other communities. For instance, in the city of Boston, the police department operates so differently in poor communities than it does in poor sections, than it does in sections where um, the business community uh, mm-hmm. operates and where people of means operate. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that that is true across across the, the nation. The, yeah. the, the, the nation. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to be careful about what we say in our communities. Uh, I'll give you a good example, Farah, and get your response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year ago, there was a 16-year-old who was wanted by the police or something, and he was running through the campus of one of our small community colleges in the black community. Six police officers pursued him. They caught him, got him in handcuffs, and proceeded to kick and beat him for more than 15 minutes. 16 years old. And I went to a community meeting about this, and people were saying, well, he is, and he did, and he was, and he had baggy pants, and his hair wasn't combed, and and Mm -hmm. all kinds of crazy, oh, and he had gold chain on his neck, and blah, blah, Mm. blah, and he should have been suspect by the police. Mm. We have to be careful what we say in our community. I'll give you an example. We have been marching around not paying attention to what words mean, saying, oh, we're, our kids are so bad that mm. 
slavery was better. They, they mm. acted better in slavery than they acted now. Mm. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? Michelle Bachman today signed on to some kind of stupid document which also says the same thing, that black children were better off in slavery than oh they are today. Oh, my gosh. You see, we have to be careful about mm. what we say. We have to be careful about the mindset that we bring to the problems of our community. You know, I think that has a lot to do, too, with us not knowing enough of our history. For you to make such a parallel or such a comparison, that means you really don't understand what slavery was. And you know what? Not to excuse our community, but it's not being taught in the schools. So how can we make an accurate comment how can we make you know an accurate assessment of what slavery was so to say that your children are better off today that must mean you have no idea no idea no one taught you or you never sought it out to figure out what slavery was about you know that Mm -hmm. that you know that was that was genocide Slavery yes. is the stripping of every single aspect of your humanity. You were less than human. It was legal to murder you. So are you saying that it's okay today, in this day and age, after mm-hmm. our forefathers and foremothers mm-hmm. fought for the freedoms that we have today, you're saying that it's okay for us to be stripped of these rights yep. and stripped of these freedoms and stripped of our humanity. So I, I don't, it, to me, it, it, it blows my mind. That someone could even well, make such a statement. Well, when we talk about when we talk about this kind of issue, one mm-hmm. of the things that we have to be very careful about is we have to be very careful about characterizing, especially the women and the children in our community, mm-hmm. to be a target. Yes, that's to right. To give permission mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. misconduct by police. Yes. Somehow we have got to stand up and we've Mm -hmm. got to say in our community it will not be tolerated, so don't even bring it here. That's right. Community control. Exactly. The the police department has to Mm -hmm. understand that that Mm -hmm. is the position of the people who pay their salaries. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But our communities... You know, there are small pockets and small groups and activists, you know, just working so hard. And then you do a Know Your Rights training, you get a few people that show up. And I don't think people understand just how important it is. And it, it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that it has, to take, it has to take cases like the other day. Yes. Something happens for people to all of a sudden be like, oh, my God, what just happened? What just happened? Oh, my God, I can't yep. believe this. What, what's going on? Yep. What? Know Your Rights? All right, I'm coming yep. to this. I'm coming to this. But it's not something that, that is sustained. And so the, 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 our, it's our duty as advocates and activists, as members of communities, as parents, as brothers, sisters, to, to sustain this movement and to continue to check in, to continue, yep. what is it, each one, teach one. Find out what your Thanks. rights are and don't exclude anyone. Everyone has to teach the other. Because they think that they can outweigh us. Farah, mm-hmm. let's go to our phones. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got a call from 917. You're on the air. I respect you, Hotep, and welcome to Our Common Ground with Black Thank Women's you. Blueprint. Peace. What's going on? Farah, Renee, Ms. Jan, how are you Hi. doing? Hey, Good. Renee. Good, Good to hear you. Renee. 
Thank you for calling, Renee. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> I've been listening for a minute, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm actually I'm thank a, you. a thank Black Women's Blueprint member as well. I'm a mm-hmm. fellow oh, uh, colleague Welcome. Welcome. With, uh, working with Farah on these trainings that she just mentioned, mm-hmm. actually. Um, uh-huh. So I guess you already have. You've been out for a minute, so you told them about what we are well, doing, well, how we are organizing. With the effectiveness of the training, what do you think is the effectiveness of the training? What do I? Well, for one, Black Women's Movement, where we are specifically focused on empowering uh, Black women of color and, and allowing us to see the uh, intersection between race and gender in terms of the way that we are oppressed and the social, economic, political issues that we have. Um, and a couple of us had attended a Know Your Rights training with uh, People's Justice Coalition and just listening to, obviously, you know, police brutality, law enforcement violence being a big issue in the communities and something that people are aware of. We see uh, mm-hmm. incidences in the news, which are few mm-hmm. in comparison to what's really going on in the streets and in people's lives. And um, it's been something that we've talked about in terms of organizing in that around that area mm-hmm. and I guess we were somewhat inspired by, like you mentioned, recent cases. So we thought that no one was really, you know, we understand police brutality being an issue with with people of color and specifically with men, and nobody's really, we really don't feel like it's being addressed in terms of the very specific incidences that women have in terms of interactions with uh, law enforcement, related to situations, domestic violence, sexual assault, um, sex workers Mm -hmm. really suffer. Mm -hmm at the hands of law enforcement, not just customers or just in general. Explain, Renee, to our audience. Some people may not understand what you mean by sex worker. What I mean, well, a sex worker is somebody (laughs) that performs sexual favor in exchange for some monetary food, Mm -hmm. money, food, Mm -hmm. shelter, lodging, I mean, you look at there's a lot a lot of generally it tends to be in survival sex really is what it comes down mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is in, in terms of trying to speak about and educate people in terms of knowing mm-hmm. and educate ourselves. And, and, and for, in terms of for people our, who mm-hmm. are listening, excuse me for interrupting you, Renee. You no, have to please. take these terms and these concepts and really okay, so extrapolate I'm saying, yeah. them because a right, sex right, worker right. could be a wife, a woman. Ah. Exchanges right. sex for well, what I'm saying, okay. in a marriage. Mm. Oh no, well, <laughs> no. When I, I'm not. That's not. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, then you just have to break down. And that's when you could say, I'm just trying to bring you know, it to another level. No, when I say, um, we're specifically talking about women whose primary means of survival, be survival, it, yeah, is, cash, yes. money, food, mm-hmm. shelter, not in the relationship of a marriage or. Did I just yeah, mute myself? Yeah. Can you hear me? Someone. Okay. Yeah, now I can hear you. A woman that is a prostitute, whether it be in the uh-huh. street, whether it be in an escort service, uh, whether it be in a strip club, uh, strippers and just people that work in any type of sex industry, strippers, dungeons, brothels, yeah. whatever. Even talking about sex, phone sex operators. I mean, the line, it's a thin line in between what is considered. Yeah. You. I mean, to you, you might yeah. say that... Yeah. <laughs> 
sex work, but really we're talking about you know people that. But see, if we if we rely on the media rendition, the, mm-hmm. the mass media rendition of a right. of a of a prostitute, most people think a prostitute is a per, is a, a is a, a woman or a man who exchanges sex for money. But we really have to understand it in a whole lot of different kinds of contexts. And 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 you're absolutely right. These there are people who use sex in order to survive because that's the only tool that they have. Mhm. Yeah. And because of the financial, you know, situations and and because of racism and because of patriarchy, you know, it, it's it's very difficult for some people to make ends meet. A lot of uh, uh, women are, and I feel like we're getting off the subject, but it's still something that's important to discuss, you know, especially when we talk about how these uh, particular people who are sex workers are in specifically vulnerable positions where police can easily exploit them on the street. These are people who are mothers. These are people who, you know, have gone through experiences in their lives who, for whatever reason, this is where they wind up. And here you have... You know, your 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 the community exploits you. The police is exploiting you. Right. I mean, I guess we use the sex worker, and we're talking about the sex worker as you know someone that really a lot of people in our community, in in communities, look at with disdain, including, um, especially police officers who exploit, exploit, exploit them on a regular basis because of the situation um, that they're in. So this is perhaps one of some of our most vulnerable populations are the citizens. Right, and, it's, and, mm-hmm. and specifically, and not even going into, you know, analyzing or trying, excuse me. I'm actually, I'm, I'm on the street right now. Um, I'm trying mm-hmm. that one. I'm getting good service, so pardon the, the music. But in That's okay. specifically for the purpose of know your rights training, which is uh, criminal justice and legal issues, we're not really looking at, you know, we're looking at specifically mm-hmm. women that really are, this is this population, not just what is exchanging sex mm-hmm. for money. If we all, you know, we can look at our own relationships and say, okay, but just from, this is a very specific population in terms of not just arrests or on the street, you know, sexual assault, assaults or physical assaults or mm-hmm. uh, pat-downs or frisks or whatnot, but also just in terms of laws. Like, I mean, we, we in terms of trafficking, and sexual exploitation of minors, we understand that there's really a large percentage of people that are selling in this industry mm-hmm. are really there, if not in a implied way or just by means of circumstance, really are coerced and forced and don't have yes. a choice. And yes. a lot of people yes. are being prosecuted, a lot of children, a lot of people that were... Runaways, you know, in a yeah. by laws that don't protect them. So it's not being trafficked every day interaction with police, but also like something that like there's, for example, a safe harbor law, which um, protects underage victims of. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you were actually, you know, physically forced or kidnapped or whatnot into the sex industry, but people cannot be prosecuted. I mean, we have children, 15-year-old girls that are being arrested. And basically, you know, Johns, men that buy sex are, and pimps are really very, like, so much, so much rarely, almost never get arrested, let alone held accountable in any way. Let me just, just to provide uh, the, point mm-hmm. this out to, to our audience. And our number is 347-838-9852. We've only got a short time before mm-hmm. uh, we have to move out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... 
um, you people really have to understand that the safety of every individual mm-hmm. in a community and That's their right. protection creates the environment of, mm-hmm. and culture of the community. So if you want to mm-hmm. live in a safe community, then you have to advocate for the safety of the least of the people who can protect right. themselves. That's right. That's right. That is exactly right. And regardless of whether or not you agree with their lifestyle, the choices that they were forced to make, you know, choices are not so clear all the time. You know, a choice sometimes, if you were in another circumstance, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have made that choice. So even if it's people that have a different sexual orientation as yourself, even if you are the most sexist, you know, misogynistic person, you know, you should know that your sister, your mother is experiencing a whole level of oppression that, you know, you, you may not be able to understand. But as as we just said, everyone deserves to be protected. Everyone deserves humanity. If, one of, if, if somebody violates or de- debases one of us in the community, especially the black community, if one of us is debased, we're all debased. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah. And, and, and you know, back in the seventies, with the the um, you know, the National uh, Black Feminist Organization and the the Kambahi River Collective, one of the things that they said is that you know, if, if you liberate black women, you liberate everybody. Because for us to be liberated mm, and for right. us to be free of oppression, it means you would have to eliminate racism, you'd have to eliminate sexism, you'd have to eliminate mm-hmm. uh, classism, you'd have to eliminate homophobia, because we fall into all, all of, of those. those. Yeah. All hey, Renee, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to let you go. The, that that is a powerful summation of why this is important to every one of you who's who's listening to this program tonight. Yes, it is Thank about you. humanity. We cannot mm-hmm. expect to advocate for safety and the and the human rights of people in Libya if we're not advocating for the human rights and peace for people on the pier in New York City. That's right. That's the bottom line. Renee, we hope you'll join us tomorrow night for Dr. Jared Bell, a ball. We'll be talking more. Uh, I'm going to ask him, uh, because I know police brutality is one of the issues that he works on within the Mm hip-hop community all Mm -hmm. the time. He'll be with us, and I hope you'll join us. Thank you so very much. All right, thank you. Farrah Tannis, you guys yes. are doing some wonderful, wonderful work. And, and so I are am you. so pleased. Thank you. I am thank so you. pleased to, 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 uh, to, to be able to report that this is really the work of the progressive black community. Mm-hmm. If you all mm-hmm. think we're in about what um, uh, uh, John Boehner and Eric Cantor, those people have no clue about the issues that run in our community. Tannis, uh, Farah, Tannis, thank you so very much, and I look forward to having you back. Tell us for the final time, as as we have to say goodbye to you, when the screening of the movie Under Under Siege is going to happen. And that I have posted the link where people can see see the uh, preview. Thank you very much. Uh, the, the Under Siege, the policing of women and girls, 
in America. It's happening on Monday, July 11th. You can go to our Facebook page um, to get the exact location. Um, It's happening at 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, New York at 6.30 p.m. Um, It's it's part of a, a bigger project. We are collecting stories. If you have a story you want to share with us, you want to advocate with us, give us a call. Um, our information, our phone number is 347-599-2682. And, you know, we welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome men. We welcome women. Whoever wants to advocate with us, whatever, if you are an ally in this movement, if you want, you want to unite in our voice, you want to unite in the, in the advocacy to end invisibility, to end exclusion, and to uphold all of our rights together. we got to be cohesive and collective to be able to advance. So join us, call us, um, uh, we'll see you on Monday, and we look forward to your support. Well, thank you so very much, and I certainly um, encourage all of you to go to Facebook and do a search Mm -hmm. for Black Women's Blueprint. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They are uh, the, the the URL is much too long. I have yes. posted it in our chat room. I have also posted a preview, a link to a preview of the mm-hmm. film Under Siege. Mm-hmm, and we do mm-hmm. support you. We wish you well, Farah, in everything that you do. And thank you thank for you. being at our common ground. It was an honor, and thank you, and keep doing the work that you're doing. And thank you for being such a sister, a strong sister in the struggle. You're one of my role models. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck on the the film. Thank you. That was uh, Farah Tanis. She is one of the co-founders of Black Women's um, Blueprint. And we hope that you will support the work she does. We, we're you're listening to our common ground, and I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Our number three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. We've got before we leave tonight. We've got some special program notes. We hope that you'll join Alpha at the Alpha Short TruthWorks Network tomorrow at three p.m. And next Saturday at Our Common Ground, Dr. Jared Bell. He is a professor of media studies and communications at Morgan State University. He's the hottest thing in talk radio at Pacifica Radio in Washington, D.C., and a columnist at the Black Agenda Report. You won't want to miss Dr. Jared Bell. He is the new generation of black media. Our Common Ground, next Saturday here, July 9th, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. This is Janice Graham. I wanted to tell you about two specials coming up on Our Common Ground. A Friday night special, July 8th, Policing Girls with Blueprint for Black Women, here at Our Common Ground at 10 p.m. And on July 18th, 10 p.m., a special with Kimba Smith 
the poster child for mandatory minimum sentencing, will be with us talking about her new book, Poster Child, The Kimba Smith Story. I hope you'll be able to join us. Two Our Common Ground Specials. On July 8th, Friday night, Policing Girls in the Inner City. And on July 18th, The Poster Child of Minimum Mandatory Sentencing, Kimba Smith. She will tell you her story, and she and I will tell you a story that we share. Hope you'll join us. And we really do thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground in our chat room. Don, I don't know whether he's in Texas or Oklahoma this, this week, but we thank you for being with us. And the host of Enter the Lion's Den, Lion's X Den, is in our chat room along with Black Ice, who can be heard on Thursday night here at our uh, at. See, Black Ice, you need to really come on over to our side. Black Ice uh, on Thursday nights here at Blog Talk Radio, and of course, House Music Lover uh, in Chai Town is joining us. Tonight he's always there. He comes in kind of late. You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about: we can't start this radio program on CP time. You understand what I'm saying, Doc? <laughs> when it says go, I have to go. But tomorrow night, I hope all of you will be with us with Dr. Jared Ball. It will be my first time interviewing him. Uh, he will be one of the few people that. I'm I I have read, I've listened to his radio show, but I have never talked to and it will be an interesting time, a very interesting time. Um and we also want to I want to give you a little preview of what you can expect on Monday. July 18th with Kimba Smith. Many of you recognize that I was one of the people, actually, I spent a year of my, two years of my life working on the Kimba Smith uh, case, Kimba Smith, at the age of 20 years old, sentenced to 24 and a half years for the crime that she did not commit, but her boyfriend, who was a major drug dealer, did. We'll not only be talking about her story, but we'll also be talking about where she is now. And it is my pleasure to be able to bring her to you in her first interview uh, of her new book, Poster Child, The Kimba Smith Story. And for those of you who are not familiar with the story, tomorrow morning I'll be posting the first major media coverage of what happened to Kimba Smith. And we hope that we'll see you tomorrow night. Thank you for being here. Thanks to our callers, Renee and 111, and to Farrah Tanis of Black Women's Blueprint. See you tomorrow night, 10 p.m. You know I'll be listening for you. But they cry. 
Good evening, this is Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground. Thank you so much for being with us tonight at Our Common Ground. We're here each Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be listening for you. Wishing you peace and power in the new week.